Hey everybody, my name is Alex. I'm kind of coming at you straight from the perch, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast lately. If you haven't heard the most recent Sunday edition all about what I refer to as assets, meaning the stuff created on the road to creating anime, um, definitely go check it out in wherever you're listening in the app of whatever you're listening to this right now in. Um, it's the previous episode in the feed for the podcast. I know that was a complicated way of explaining that. But on that note, I want to um, talk about a new movie over on Netflix called Child of Kaminari Months. シング、弥生のものか。お母さんのこと知ってるの?その腕輪を外せ。その腕輪は外しちゃダメだ。この島国が大きく揺らぐことになろうぞ。大変だ。父親失格だ。まだ走れる?大丈夫。その時の気持
a real natural occurrence or a real natural thing. And one of the things that it attempts to kind of make a villain of for the movie, if at all possible, it's more of a like Studio Ghibli-esque villain really, is the idea of a god imposter is what they call it in the dub at least. But it's not really a it's more of a negative. It's more of a. It's more of a bad vibe, basically, and that is like people's relationship with something that's not natural or real. Like say that that gener- that generated not from a positive feeling, but from a negative feeling. Like say people's relationship with their freaking cell phones has created like a. Standard Studio Ghibli black oily blob monster that will that seeks to become a real god, and so this movie is about coping is about a young girl coping with loss, and it it takes coping with like an unfair loss essentially, and an unfair loss that of her mother that is. Tangled up with all of her feelings about her mother and all of her feelings about the last thing that she saw her mother doing, which was in the case of um, the main character, whose name I should really get straight. Um, who, in the case of the main of the main character, was watching Connor run a marathon and. If you were never a kid who ran, I was a kid who ran, the world will give you plenty of opportunities to run these, like, small scale, these essentially real marathons, but they're, like, small scale marathons, and even in America, this is true, you can run these marathons, and they will, and they're, they're, they're put on by schools and by, like, school organizations and that kind of stuff and they're like little 2Ks that that are safe for kids to run and the roots are planned and the whole nine the whole nine yards but in Connor's case she grew up running with her mother and her mother um I forget her mother's name um but her mother um was always better at running than her, and you're... The movie does a really good job of giving you all the pieces that make sense logically, but not giving you the pieces... But not giving you the t- the um moment... The, uh... What's the best word for it? The knowledge to look at those pieces with a realization that you're being given puzzle pieces until it wants you to know. So the movie opens up with um Kana running with her mother and her mother giving her a hard time like don't give up, blah 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 and it's kind of like a teething mother daughter family activity relationship kind of thing. And you see her her mother wearing a bracelet with a little I forget what the um with a little like yin yang half stone on bead on it, and it's a red bracelet with one of those like aqua blue beads on it, and you see they make a point of showing you that bracelet. And that that bracelet is odd. And then later they make a point of Kana's mother taking that bracelet off and using it as a hair tie to tie her hair up as she continues to run with her daughter. And in that moment you, you think, oh, this is a cute this is like a cute opening to this movie. It's it's highlighting Kana's like early childhood relationship with her mother and early childhood relationship with running in general as an activity and why it would mean something to her. 
And by the end of the movie, that that interaction has a whole bunch of added-on meanings. And it's a real skillful manipulation of story beats for you to go back. And they do show it to you again and realize what is happening in those moments that you didn't realize was happening before. So, you come into Kana's life and she's like a wreck because her mother has her mother hasn't has probably died in the last six months it feels like like it's not recent enough where you're seeing the funeral although they do show you the funeral but it is recent enough where it's still a new wound psychologically speaking and kind of like a 12 like a 12-year-old girl, and it's really difficult, and this movie does a good job of showing, uh, this movie, as Belle did, interestingly, does a good job of showing you the strain of losing a parent on, the strain of especially losing a mother on a family, because... And this is not just true in in Japan, but it's true in many cultures across the world. The mother figure in a relationship, in in a family dynamic, is very different than the father figure. The mother figure is oftentimes the primary caretaker, the the person who's oftentimes primarily responsible for child rearing and all this stuff. And that... That shouldn't always be, but oftentimes it is exactly, that is exactly what's true. And the result there is the mother ends up being really emotionally central to a family. If you look at some, a great example against this is if you look at something like um, Yu Yu Hakusho, actually. In, um, in Yu Yu Hakusho, Yusuke's mom, I forget her name, is a total goddamn wreck. And the result is, Yusuke just, like, has a very unique relationship with just straight up his mom. Where he truly cares about her, but he also knows... I don't... He doesn't know what happened to make her the way she is, but he knows that she is kind of useless. She's a useless drunk, essentially. And a big part of Yusuke's, like, maturing throughout the story of Yu Yu show is he learns that that's not his fault and that he can't that he can't save his mom, but he can take better care of her and he can, and he is forced to realize from a pretty young age that his mom is deeply human and flawed and have to care for her. Um, in things like um chi- like the child of Kamiari Mons in Bell in uh, another show that I've talked about on this channel, Sweetness and Lightning those all feature children, primarily girls, uh, all girls who have that same realization about their father in a certain way, but but at some point in that story, in Bell, Bell, um, the character character who is behind Bell, I probably forget her name because that's a that's a one name is a character, the other name is a character in VR kind of scenario. Um, the main character in that realizes at some point that her her father is there for her and allows her father to be there for her. Whereas before the events of that movie, she is, because of her mother's death, closed herself off to the world and closed herself and pulled herself away from her remaining parent, which is her father. In um, Sweetness and Lightning... It, that's probably the most wholesome of these three stories. It, the daughter is kind of 
just this young force for good who clearly realizes that her mother isn't there anymore, but isn't old enough to realize exactly what that means, but knows, but her father is actually the one who takes the initiative of like, I need to do something with my daughter. I also, we also need to eat better. I'm a terrible cook. And that's, that is what ultimately, um, causes the whole pro, the whole plot behind what they're doing in Sweetness and Lightning. Sweetness and Lightning is also a adorable freaking cooking show. Um, but then there's this there's Child of Ka- of Kamiari Month, which shows a distinct reality of what could happen in the case of losing a mother and having a at a young age for a, a child, and that is the father goes distant. And he, do, he does his best, and the father in this is really determined to do his best, but he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing because... And um, I talked about this at some point. Actually, no, I didn't talk about this on the podcast, I don't believe. But in, in Japan, to be a single parent is unusual let's say, and to be a single father is even more unusual, and there's not a whole lot of help given, there's not a whole lot of societal understanding of like, okay, you're a single father, and lots of times single fathers probably end up leaning on, you know, friends of family who have kids. Because men are expected to be kind of worker bees in a real way. So in this in this show, you see that expressed through one of Kana's friends. Her mother like helps Kana like feeds Kana a lot. Just like um, your your mom's dead. You don't have a mother figure. Here's food, <laughs> and you see that you see that later in Kana's father thanking her friend's mother for, like, taking care of Kana all the time and looking after Kana since his wife and Kana's mother has passed away. And, but that doesn't make it any less hard. In fact, oftentimes it can make it more... It can make it sadder and harder and more obvious that you're different from everybody especially now when you see a family with two parents or you see you meet somebody's mother um the amount of times I've met people's fathers friends or girlfriends or anything and I've just felt this like oh this is what it's like to have a dad (laughs) which I in true minority fashion I guess uh, my father was a drug addict and had and as a result had been cut out of my life largely when I was an infant because it just wasn't a great idea he um he wrote me down some crack alleys I'm told it's not it's not great but on that note Con is really still she doesn't know how to feel she hasn't she hasn't finished grieving and the world seems like it hasn't given her the proper tools or space to grieve really because no one no one really knows how to do that and if and even when you do it's really hard it's incredibly hard even for adults to lose parents it's a huge it's like a it it's the most awful death that happens in your life is your parents. Yes, your wife dying. Yes, your significant other dying. Yes, a friend dying is incredibly hard. But it's like everybody at some point will have to usually face either a, 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 
a close relative dying, and that's a very that's a very definite, unavoidable thing, and it sucks. And it's there's no there's no real handbook to dealing with it, especially when you're a really young kid at a young age. And Kana just is continuously having a hard time with it, especially since like running and physical activity was such a close knit thing with her mother that it she struggles to she she struggles when that comes up and because the last thing Kana's mother really did was to come see her run a marathon it's a sore point. It's a it's a real like I said earlier, open wound for her. And she ends up for a marathon she's about to run, taking her mother's little bracelet as a good luck charm, which you're led to believe she'd done before. Like it gives her some kind of joy and strength to have something of her mother with her when she runs. Only this time she breaks down, freaks out, and she runs away. And she runs to this. She, she runs to the local shrine, where she ends up putting on this bracelet, and she meets, and she meets the god of the local shrine. Because as it turns out, she meets a the god of the local shrine, but b she meets. The she meets the this guide who's taken who's taken the body of one of these two rabbits who she'd been put in charge of for um, her school, which isn't which isn't uncommon. Oftentimes, American grade schools will have like ger- will have gerbils that the whole class is put that someone's designated to like be the feeder for. Oftentimes, Japanese schools will have rabbits and they'll have a little like. Rabbit, there's an adorable scene in this where they have this thing that says rabbit home and it's a little rabbit pen that they've set up and Kana's clearly the person who's supposed to go feed the rabbits that once a week and somebody else handles the other days and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's a great way to like, teach kids about like how to care for pets and all that stuff. And it has real consequences and all that stuff. But she meets, um, she meets, I believe it's, um, I believe it's Shiro. And Shiro is the, is this guide, is this guide character who had taken the body of one of the rabbits. And Shiro said to her, your, mo- your mother was this delivery person to the gods. For, for Kamiari months. And what Kamiari months is, and this is the most Shinto thing, is this one month a year, um, where all the gods leave their, where many of the, where all the gods, all the main gods leave their shrines. One second, I'm like trying to do a thing and it's not going well. Where all the gods leave their shrines and they gather at Izumo Taisho Shrine and they have this big feast. And it, I believe that's, that's, a, um, that's the explanation given in the movie and I believe that's a real Shinto thing. And if you live in that, if you live in the region where the, if you live in the Izumo region, it's called like the Month of Gods. And if you don't live in the Izumo region, Izumo region is called the month without gods. And Kana had been tasked because she was the um, daughter of the previous person who did this. I forget the title. Um, I can probably find it. I'm a little, I'm a little discombobulated on this one. Um, with gathering all the chizo which are the traditional foods of the god 
and getting them to the Izumo Taisho Shrine for the Feast of the Gods. This task is kind of initially thwarted by a character named Yato, and Yato is this, um, is, is a demon who in the story of this was cast out by the gods and used to be the per it used to be the family of like gods that did this but they were cast out and became demons and it's a whole it's a whole mystical thing but essentially what this is what this show is forcing on the character is on the character of Kana is like it this will be your grieving process essentially you're going to be doing what your mother did so that you can cope with your mother's death. And you're also going to find out why your mother was such a good runner. And it uses the bracelet her mother used to um, wear to kind of bring that full circle. And what the movie does pretty cleverly towards the end of the movie, I'm going to skip around a little bit here, is it shows you... Kana like encounters one of those god imposters who pretend to be her mother so it can get the chizo and it can eat the food of the gods and become a real god. But Kana breaks the bracelet so she can't hear Yato or Shiro anymore. And when she can't, when she breaks the bracelet, she can't tie it together and it's okay. She ties it together around her hair. And this is the first time you see Kana, like, treat her hair in a way that's not like a little kid, a little depressed kid whose hair is just a mess all the time. She, like, ties it up exactly like her mother. And what you realize there, which is pretty interesting, is the entire, for the entire movie up until that point, she wears the bracelet like a bracelet. Like her mother did. And in that moment, she does what her mother did to tie up her hair and you realize that part of what her mother was doing in at that moment was saying no I'm not gonna spend like I'm not gonna spend this time with a foot in two worlds where everything is so slow I can just move past it if I want to I'm going to take my bracelet off use it as a hair tie so I can still hear what's going on in like the realm of in like the realm of the gods, but I can spend time with my daughter, and it it adds this extra sweet dimension to just like a little moment of the original of the opening of the film, and it it doesn't drag that out for you. It just shows the symbolism of what was happening, and trust that you, the viewer. We'll put it all together, which is a really good thing for a movie to do. And my only real, my only real issue, my my biggest issue with the movie really is the way it kind of had this imbalanced, fun adventure movie vibe and. It's like it remembers, like, oh, we have a central conflict here, and that's Kana wanting to see her mother again one last time, and that kind of, like, white lie slash lie by omission thing that's happening there. And they need to bring, and, like, they remember it, and they need to bring it up. And it... A, it sets up the movie going to a pretty dark place of her being like, I don't care if this, like, imitation got this god imposter is just a pale imitation of my mother. I would have lived in that cave forever with her. And B, it had this moment where they meet one of the gods to get his chizo. And he challenges Kana in a real way and says, like, you, you don't seem to really want to do this to like get our food to to get our get the food to the summit to Izumo Taisho Shrine you want to do this because you're hoping that 
the saint of Izumotaisho Shrine will let you see your mother again. And that's where the plot, that's where the movie catches up to itself and Connor realizes I won't ever see my mother again. And that's where you get the moment of the like very Studio Ghibli-esque villain. And this movie, this movie in the same way that Spirit Away did is doing a lot of Studio Ghibli-esque things, especially with its antagonist of the God Imposter, where it's not, it's not so much a direct antagonist as it is just like, like I said, bad vibes that exist generally that is a stumbling block for the main character, the protagonist, that they have to surpass in order to do it. So in the kind of, in the climax of the movie when Kana is, takes the, ties the bracelet around her hair and takes the gourd and can only hear Yato and Shiro She's running, essentially, she's not running away from the god imposter, like, goop monster. She's more running towards the Izumo Taisho shrine, but the god imposter goop monster eventually shows up and tries to catch her again. And she just won't let it because she's so focused on her goal, which is a really positive, like, don't run away from something, run towards something even if the other thing is chasing you kind of message. But it... It has... It has this feeling that's similar to, once again, a Studio Ghibli movie, the end of... Um, Princess Mononoke, actually, where... Kana is running and this thing is supposed to be gaining on her, but it... Looking at it after seeing it, it doesn't it doesn't fill the space quite in the same way that like the um fallen nightwalker goop does in Prince Monoki or even the like monstrous version of No Face in Spirited Away. It more just it's just like almost like black goop serpent that follows her and when you're watching it even even when you're watching it you expect like her to turn the corner and then it to come rushing at her rushing at the corner like water filling up a channel almost after a dam's been taken down and it just doesn't it doesn't do that it doesn't fill the space in the same way and i kind of wish it would because it would feel it, it would give the movie a more triumphant feel in that moment that it could have used. It didn't need, but it could have used. And going from... There's a, there's a moment in the movie where it, it feels like plot needs to happen, so plot does happen. And that... And that... I think the movie could have been better about the like slow slow pacing of that than just being like oh we're, we're, we're almost we're running out of runtime flip like flip the script so to speak and I think that this movie successfully d does something that a lot of movies are doing especially in the animated space right now and it if I had to guess I'd say it was. I'd say it was something that subconsciously people are realizing that we need right now, and that is movies trying to deal with childhood loss of an important parent figure in your life because of something like COVID. So I'm going to tell an anecdote from my life about 9-11 now. I was in middle school when 9-11 happened and like everybody my age and older has a distinct like 
we remember where we were when 9-11 happened. And we remember, like, the period of time in the wake of that terrorist attack. It's just, it's just true. If you ask anybody who's about 32 or older, we'll all be, like, have a very specific, this is where we were. And we know exactly, like, what happened and what the circumstances were. For example, when I first heard about it, I was in the cafeteria in middle school. And a kid said, a plane just smashed into the World Trade Center, to, to the Twin Towers. And I, along with most of the other kids, were like, you're fucking lying. That is insane. That's not possible. We later were sent home from school because it not only was it possible, but it, that's what happened. But in the immediate aftermath of that, what happened because of the t- the kind of community I lived in, I lived in as a, as a kid in that age, was there were tons of grief counselors. Because I lived in a super wealthy part of part of the state, I'm part of the East Coast, in which kids had parents who worked in the World Trade Center. Kids who had parents who were like finance who like were financial traders and all the schools and all of the all the schools and all of the people of the east coast of America treat treated that like a real like oh no there'll be a lot of kids who don't have parents anymore they'll, like let me put it this way Pete Davidson isn't the only kid like him in the world. He is the, he is probably the loudest for the reason of he has a real comedic talent to like take that uneasy feeling around 9-11 and turn it into like comedy at the expense of him at really the expense of himself. And it's like you you ask you ask most people in like New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and even some ex- expense, um, ex- extend to um, Philadelphia. Like, would you get on a plane on September 11th? Most of us will. There's a fair chance most of us will be like, nope, no, screw that, no, thank you. And it has, and the result of that is in. Many, 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 many towns across New Jersey, there's like a weird death sculpture, essentially, that is made with girders from the World Trade Center, like, disaster zone. Like, they sent girders to any town that lost people. Uh, The town I used to live, the town, I, I don't think the town I live in now has one, but I know the town I lived in before had one. If you go to Jersey City and you try to go to Ellis Island, you'll encounter this beautiful sculpt, this beautiful, like, almost experiential sculpture piece that ends with, that, like, takes you through itself and ends with this, like, nightmarishly gnarled girder. And you all at once are like, oh, shit, I'm in a 9-11 memorial. That's why I just feel so uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, And that is this, like, big... I think that that is this big thing that's on the, like... That exists in the East Coast of America now in a way that doesn't exist in, like, Texas. I remember... um, I, I used to have a work colleague whose parents were from Texas, who was from Waco, Texas, which hilariously is like the home of Dr. Pepper and um, and a really prominent house flipping show thing, Empire. But she she, she said, like, yeah, my, my parents are getting a, um, a thing, on, a, a, a flight on 9-11. And it, like, I looked at her and she's like, yeah, I know. My parents aren't from here. I I only realized that after about living on the East Coast for a year. That's not a thing you do ever because, god damn it. Um, 
And I think that... I think that the world over the past two years, which, lo and behold, is enough time to make shows about, like, loss and coping and coping with loss, have really... I've really recognized that, like, shit, there's going to be a lot of, not just people, but kids without parents, people without, like, husbands without wives, wives without husbands, that will have happened because of this pandemic. And I think that movies like um, Child of Kamiari Months, movies like Bell, to a certain extent, movies like... Or shows like um, something like Sweetness and Lightning are these. Even though Sweetness and Lightning happened way before um, the pandemic, will be shows that have this healing and instructive tinge to them that they didn't before because they. The pandemic in a year from now when it's not as raging still, because we've been, we've been, even now is different than in 2020 when it started. Imagine in five years, this will be like the pandemic will have this effect in the same way that something like a terrorist attack had could have in the same way 9-11 had on New York at the time at the time and then after it will these things will have long-lasting effects and it's like something like COVID has consequences in ways that I think that people are thinking, we need to figure out how to deal with this. And interestingly enough, in the most morbid, screwed up way, there was this like vibrating thing around the Tokyo Olympics. And 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 to be clear, Japan does this a lot. They like take a prominent thing that's about to happen or has happened in history and they centralize it to um in a lot of their media everybody does you know there's so many goddamn movies about christmas and so many like halloween christmas valentine's day episodes to not just american shows but all kinds of shows like this christmas episode like mandatory christmas episodes to in anime are a thing those are also there are also Christmas episodes in American sitcoms. There are Halloween episodes. D- D- Halloween is like a goddamn minefield in day- in like serialized television in America. It's so weird. And so like that that's a smaller scale idea of like this was a huge thing that happened. Um the 1990 the 19 I believe 1989 um Kanto earthquake is a big damn deal in occasionally you'll encounter it in anime and they'll like kind of like silo it off and refer to it as an important thing cuz it's real it i actually talked about like um life mirroring art in a couple sunday editions ago and I talked about um, Moro Penguin Drum and how that is a movie that is a, a show that's kind of built around what if the people who did the Om Shinrikyo train gassing had kids? Like, what does that look like when you're when you are part of a cult and you also have kids? <laughs> I, what I'm saying is Japan has once probably once again and rightfully so recognized. And the media, in, the media machines part of Japan has recognized, like there will be kids who need who need these movies. There will be people who need these movies. There will be 
There'll be parents who need... There'll be now newly single parents who may need a movie they can go see with their kids where it can make their kids feel just a little better and it can give them some kind of instructional roadmap to helping their kid cope in a way that they might not have known because they would... Because, once again, they've just lost a, a spouse. And I find it really interesting that... Before the pandemic... But, and I'm going to um, use more Hosoda as an example here. Because he's a very... Oh, this thing happened in his life? He gonna make a movie about it. Unless, oh no, I remembered the internet exists. Also, a thing happened in my life, so I need to make a movie about it, kind of thing, occurs. Or or thing happened in life, so I want to incorporate it into a movie. He's, a, he's very much that kind of filmmaker. Left to his own devices, before the pandemic, he made Mirai, which is very much about the birth of his second child. And it, after the pandemic has has happened to the world... And all the things around that. He makes a movie about loss of a family member. Um, although, hilariously, he now had two kids who are probably in the age range to watch Beauty and the Beast. Until the DVD disintegrates in the player. And he incorporated this like aspect of Beauty and the Beast for the middle part of that movie that is very strange. But also very cool and very paid an homage to a classic anime, a classic animated work, and I. It's really interesting that you can tell he picked up on a lot of people have lost a lot of people in the past couple years, and that should be reflected in media somehow and. That is also true of this movie. And it just... Like I said... There... Actually, not like I said, but... There are... There are kind of two approaches to COVID in media right now. There are... It never happened... Like, we have... And I, I respect both, to be clear... It, it never happened. We have... We, we have a duty to provide some kind of escape from the, cru- from the unusual cruelty of reality. In, the, in this moment. So we're going to say it never happened. We're going to take all the steps to ignore COVID. So you, so you the viewer, can escape to a version of reality... In which all this not, all this insane shit just didn't happen. I can nope right out of it into something like Reacher, for example. Uh, the new the new Netflix Reacher, which is really good. But there are, there are other approaches um, where they say we have to acknowledge COVID because as much as we have the responsibility to provide people with an escape we we're going to go the other way and we're going to take the other responsibility that media has to exist as almost a time capsule of its of when it was created and you can see that in american shows like say um what's it called like um that show that judge show all rise all rise went out of its way to deal with not only the pandemic, but living in the pandemic and living in the pandemic in a city in which cities essentially turned into these massive, <laughs> unintentional prisonscapes of like people trapped in their in their apartments and or their houses and they couldn't leave because it wasn't no one felt like it was safe to leave and like the weird. Uh, social aspect to Zoom and all of it. And that's important too. And that makes you feel good because you you feel like your reality in the moment is seen. 
And now we're in a place where there are things trying to deal with the ramifications of what has happened to all of us over the past three years because of this insane pandemic that should have been over if it wasn't for political nonsense and stupidity. But in all that, there needs to be a recognition of like people have really lost people. People have really um and people's lives have irrevocably changed. My best friend left New York City because it was hobbled by the pandemic in a way that nobody imagined it could be. And she went home. She went back to Japan. And and she won't be coming back for a long time. And our relationship has changed. And because of because of that same pandemic, I can't go see her. It, it, it we'll be dealing with the consequences of of a massive world changing event like this for a while. I mean, I'll tell you what I the people I don't trust to handle this well, and that's American entertainment. Because as much as the stuff about the pandemic in All Rise was like truly an on was honest in a way that it never was that it oftentimes could not be. In in other ways. American media will for will forever be the engine that created something like um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I went on a big rant about this at some point in the podcast feed that you can go find. But Hunchback of Notre Dame is a Disney movie that tried to interpret the like folktale of. The, of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was originally written as a kind of advertising play almost for um, for uh, what for the church for Notre Dame Church in Paris, which recently burned and it's still very damaged and like needs money to be repaired. But you know, the Catholic Church, it's a world, it's like a world wonder, so it gonna it gonna get fixed at some point. Trust me. Um. But the what I, that move that story is a tragedy, and what the Disney what the first Disney movie attempts to do is adapt it into a good into like a good thing happening at the end. But in doing that, they essentially make the the main character, the hero, the true hero of the story. A disabled person, they accidentally roll into the realization that, like, if you're disabled, you're not allowed to get the girl. And it, 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 even if that girl is very clearly a minority of, like, a person who is a minority, and, it, it, like, disabled people, it kind of suggests that Disabled people will always be at the bottom rung of the societal ladder. And it really fucked up on that score. Like, it really fucked... Like, it did not live up to the mission statement of Disney in that way. And to this day, it's like, heralded as like, oh, mm-mm. You, you did disabled boys and girls dirty on that one. It is not cool. But you look at the second Disney movie, which was actually the second Notre Dame movie. I forget what it's called. And it's essentially an apology letter for that part of that movie. For for the part of the movie where disabled people are not worthy of love. And it makes other mistakes in doing that. But it's also notable that it was produced... But almost in its entirety by the Disney Japan Studios, which hilariously make it technically an anime, 
but also, and I talked about this in the moment in, in the episode where I talk about this. I think it was, it was probably a Sunday edition. It it says it says something pretty key about the animation and entertainment industry and empathy in Japan. And it says that, and, um, what's it called? Um, a silent voice does the same thing. And lots of shows, lots of anime with similar scenes or even without similar scenes do the same thing. They have a real appreciation and understanding of emotionality and of difference that is hilariously not reflected by the culture, but is reflected by the artists making it because to make art, you have to oftentimes stand apart from everything, from everything else so you can look at it with a better view. And I think that I, and I know that Child of Kamiari Month does that and is is very aware of the like emotional state that it's playing with with its main character and while not treating it with kids gloves it does have an empathy for that kind of loss and that kind of deep, painful loss. In a way that oftentimes... And and in a way that oftentimes American television utilitizes and I know that's probably not a word, but in a way that American... American television oftentimes says, okay, this important character died. We're going to use that as character motivation for XYZ to happen in the show. Or um, there's a movie, um, I think, with Jennifer Garner in it called, like, Peppermint that was like, these crooks killed this woman's kid and she turned into a freaking assassin nightmare person as a result for revenge. This is a revenge movie now. And that that manipulates you in a lot of ways emotionally and brings you to a certain place where you're okay with this mom whose daughter died just wrecking house on an entire like building full of people if necessary or more and um that is the that is the inception point for um the uh what's it called the john wick movies if you've never seen those movies those movies start with russian gangsters killing a puppy <laughs> as a expression of Man, these dudes are assholes. And also, this is how we get um, Keanu Reeves back in the game. This is how we wake up the monster. And how we make you okay with all the cool shit the monster's about to do to kill some motherfucker. Whereas something like Child of Kaminari Month says to the viewer who may or may not be experiencing like some similar something similar in their lives, like, we, we're going to present this to you, and we're going to not present you with a utilization of this feeling. We're going to present you with the start of the path towards not forgetting about whoever died, but being, like, in a place where you can hold that person in your heart, and it doesn't hurt. And I think that's really important. I think that... I think that's something that... American media doesn't do well is it doesn't 
let things sit. It doesn't let things exist. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily like to deal with the reality of a lot of the emotions that it plays with. Yes, there are certainly movies that do that, but it doesn't. For example, and this is probably be where I end. In Bell, it's a by the way, spoiler alert for Bell, which I probably said at the beginning of the first Bell podcast that you can listen to. It turns out that the beast in Bell, in the movie Bell, is a abused is an abused teenager who's like in like the grade level below the main character in that movie and he being a and him and his little brother are being abused by their father who by their father who's a single father who lost who and their mother died fairly recently and their father is clearly not handling it well and he has started beating the shit out of his kids because he doesn't have the brain space to think about their future and their present at the same time, almost. And it does not paint this guy out to be a good guy. He is very clearly... But it doesn't paint him out to be a bad person either. It paints him out to be a man of overwhelming weakness. And him hitting his kids is like another expression of that overwhelming weakness. And that failure to, like, internalize the grief and do his best. And the show shows the main character in in the real world going and, like, finding these kids and confronting the father and, like, bringing reality back into that broken, fucked up family in a way... That she was uniquely capable of doing because she has also lost her mother once again. Lost a loss in that movie. But it doesn't show her standing up to them. It Standing up to the father figure. It doesn't show her... It shows a very real construction of what would happen. Not just like... And then she smacks, she backhands the crap out of him. And as you hear sirens in the background. It, there's no, it doesn't give you that kind of catharsis because that's not what it's concerned with. It's concerned with the beginning of the moment of things getting better for those kids. Of the main character of that movie taking her first, taking a first major step to healing the wound of losing a parent herself. And it... It doesn't want to utilize the that event to give a triumphant moment, to just give a triumphant moment to the viewer. It knows that it's enough and it's a better beat to not do that, to show the the, the more likely reality than the, um, than the, the fantasy, than the fantasy wish fulfillment that it could have shown. And lo and behold, in this movie, there is this, by and by the end of Child of Kaminari Month, Kana is running again, and she's waking up early in the morning before she has to go to, way before she to go to school to go for a run around the city, or, or or around the neighborhood in the city, and she makes her dad breakfast early, and she makes her dad like a notably healthy breakfast, and leaves him a note and says like, "I went for a run." Breakfast is important. And it starts to show this shift in the character. And that's where it ends. It doesn't give you this full journey. It gives you the beginning of the journey. And lets you know. 
the character and by extension, by extension, people who've experienced this kind of thing will be okay. It may be a struggle, but they will be okay. And that's really what I appreciate about this movie is it is it doesn't tell you that it's not hard. It doesn't tell you that the things you experience should just be gotten over. It doesn't even tell you really that you're wa- you're wrong for wanting to wallow in the bad feelings. It tells you that it might take time, but you will get over whatever it is. No matter how hard it is, as long as your heart's still beating, you still have a chance to move forward. And I think that's really important for right now. I mean, not that's not always important, but I think it's really important for right now. And on that note, um, if you like this podcast, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is shows are a lot like this. They're about a episode or a they're, they're about a, a movie or a show, and they're my thoughts on it. Um, Sunday is more metatextual. If you're looking for something like my thoughts on Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, which is wild, um, you can... It's probably a Sunday show. Um, But until then, my name has been Alex, coming at you straight from the perch, as always. And this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. (laughs) 